y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Well-Lit Path. In Psalm 34, David is on the praising side of a very interesting and dangerous experience. But first, how's your week? You ever made a bad decision for a good reason? As we come to this passage and I look at how many times I made a bad decision for a good reason, I can't help but laugh at myself a little. Uh, while I, I I was thinking, and I don't think I have as grand an example as the one David has before he writes this psalm, I have made some bad decisions for good reasons. Uh, I was at a job where the hours were insane. Uh, I had gotten pretty steady and significant raises over the year and a half that I'd been at the job, but I was working 55 to 65 hours a week on salary, so no OT. While the pay was great for straight time, when it got into anything over 40 hours, the worth of the work-life balance to the pay just wasn't a really good fit in my mind. Uh, couple that with some other factors that had to do with like culture and leadership at the job, and it was time to find a new job. So I began to apply, and very shortly, I, I got an interview. Uh, this was perfect. Uh, the promise of amicable hours and more pay, uh, having decision-making power and how the company was going to select a, a particular new software, uh, it was like a dream. Uh, this had to be what the Lord wanted for me. I'd been praying about it, and I asked for some people to partner in prayer with me. And within weeks, I was on my way to the new job. The more time I was going to have, I was going to have was going to be utilized for more work at the church. You know what a godsend. Within less than a month of starting the new job, I was asked to work sixteen days straight. Time at the job had definitely increased. Um, my old co-workers from the previous job began to like report to me about six months after into the new job that business, while business was still good at the old job, that life was more manageable and the hours had decreased. Uh, most of the managers there were spending only roughly 45 to 50 hours a week at work. Uh, over time went down. Here I was still working 50 to 60 hours. Now, was the Lord blessing and was he providing? Well, yes. Was it everything that it was cracked up to be? No. See, the Lord was still providing at my old job. That job just didn't fit my expectations at the time. I made a bad decision for a good reason. Well, thankfully... God is good, even when we're stupid. Uh, just a couple of years later, with the experience I gained from the last job, he's blessed me with what I would definitely call my secular dream job, but I was patient for it this time. I smothered it in more prayer than ever before, and he, he's just really blessed me in the job. Now, David put himself in a much more dire, but also more comical position uh, predating this psalm that we're about to get into. So let's read it first, and we'll look at some backstory to give context to his praise. Psalm 34, beginning in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What is man that he desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. All right, so let's give some backstory here. Uh, for that, we'll have to go back to 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 22, 1. And we're not going to read all of the passage, but we're going to go over it real quick. Uh, it's kind of a cr- crazy story. Uh, no pun intended. You'll get that at the end of the story. Uh, see, the superscription of this psalm says, A psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. So who was Abimelech? Well, Abimelech was a designated dynastic title for the Philistine king. Uh, It was like Pharaoh to the Egyptians, what the Herodian line was like in the New Testament, and what uh, we we could say what the president is to us. It's often used as a proper noun, the same way that we would say, you know, Mr. President. So then what is the story and how did David change his behavior? So in in 1 Samuel 21, David is on the run from King Saul, who sought to kill him. David finds himself in the land of Nob. It's here he stops at a local place of worship and asks for bread. So while he's there, he had fled in such a hurry that he had forgotten to bring any of his armor or weapons with him and asked the priest hey, do you happen to have a weapon lying around that I can use? Well, this priest procures the sword of Goliath, 
whom David had slain as a boy. Now, David at this point has grown up to be a mighty man of valor, and he can now lift the sword and wield it. So he claims the sword of Goliath as his own, and it becomes his weapon that he carries. David tells the priest, hey, there is no sword like that. I'll take it. So he continues his flight with this fallen Philistine sword to no other place than Goliath's hometown. When the servants of the king, the Abimelech, who's, and this guy's actual name was Achish, are screening newcomers at the gate of the city, they see that this new guy is David. Now, presumably, these guys are city guards, and these servants of the king quote what the Israelites said of David. Hey, aren't you the guy that they've said, you know, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands? When David realizes that he's been recognized and they grab him, he starts completely changing the way that he acts. And this is where it gets just, I mean, a a little amusing. As they drag him through the city, the entire time David is in their custody, he acts like he is completely insane. The Bible says that he clawed at the stone walls and the gates as they passed them as if they had something in them. The term used is uh, a scrabbled. And that doesn't mean that he was pulling out tiles with letter on them to get a double word bonus either. What that means is he scratched at the walls and the doors that he was being led through so hard that he left marks on them. Not only that, The Bible says that he was letting spit fall out of his mouth onto his beard. So he was clawing at the walls and he's drooling all over himself. By the time he gets to the king, his hands and fingernails must have been raw and bleeding. His beard full of spit and drool. He would have looked like a full on madman, which is exactly what he wanted. The king said, hey, why did you guys bring me this madman? It's not like I need another madman to entertain me. I don't don't need somebody here that I can just make fun of the whole time. And he told them, get this guy away from me. Now, how wise was it for David to go to this city of the Philistines carrying their former champion's sword with him. The Philistines being enemies of Israel, they would have known of David. And I mean, some may have even seen him on the battlefield before. Fleeing from Saul and getting as far away as possible was great, but doing so by going to Gath was super dumb. I mean, Abimelech could have not believed that he was crazy. Abimelech could have had him killed because he was crazy. I mean, the guards could have killed him on sight. The only explanation for his survival was God. He made a bad decision for a good reason, and God protected him anyway. God is just good that way. But David knew God would have been just as justified in letting him pay for his stupidity. God didn't have to protect him, but God delighted 
in protecting him. And when David got out of that situation, he could have taken credit for his cleverness, for his acting abilities. Instead, as he looks back, he starts with, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And the way it's translated for us is actually shall continually, which is a kind of a cool thing about the King James Version. Shall continually basically means that it will continue to be continual in his mouth. So we see a good outcome from a bad decision in our lives sometimes. And we, let's be honest, we tend to want to take credit for how clever we were or how well we planned. David recognized that he had to take drastic measures and humiliate himself in order for God to be able to work to set him free after his bad decision. God would much rather just bless us than bless us despite our stupidity. And in that, we should give credit where credit is due. James tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That's James 1.17. If, if we have any good thing in our lives as Christians, it's from God directly. And I, I, I'll actually go even further than that. If we have any good thing in our lives at all, regardless of our spiritual state, it's from God and God alone. Because we're all beneficiaries of his general blessings. The air to breathe, the talents we all possess, even every child that's born to a parent, regardless of where the heart of their parents lie, they are blessings from God. And this is what all of our boasting should be about. It should be boasting of God. Boasting of his grace, his mercy, his blessing. And as I think about this, can it be said of us? Now, I'm so sick of hearing Tom talk about how good God is. God is so good to me. God blesses me so much. God blessed me again yesterday. Ugh. I'm just so tired of hearing Tom talk about how good his God is. What if every sentence we uttered we first thought or said, God has blessed me in this way, dot, dot, dot. It would surely make it more difficult to complain, wouldn't it? I, I think it would also do a pretty good job of keeping our pride in check and help control our desires. Because it's pretty difficult to say, God has blessed me with a new pair of shoes to add to my collection of 50 pairs of shoes. Or God has blessed me with a new car, even though my old car was running just fine and I almost had it paid off. God has blessed me with this new handbag because I just didn't have a nice black one. God has blessed me allowing me to get one of the pink Stanley cups. Or God has blessed me with the ability to buy another gun to add to my arsenal. When we put God has blessed me in front of things, it makes all of those things that I just listed out sound 
really hollow. I'm not saying we shouldn't have nice things or treat ourselves to things from time to time, but let's not paint them as God's direct blessing in our lives. Because while it may not be easier to say it rolls off the tongue easier when we say things like, you know, God's really blessed me because all of my immediate family have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You know, God has really blessed us to be part of the church that we're at. God's really blessed me in my Bible reading this year. You know, God really blessed in a promotion I got because it allows me to give even more back to him. I mean, would we dare to start with and evaluate our statements, everything that came out of our mouths with God has blessed me in that he has? Can we boast in him? Could we make it a defining characteristic for us? So much so that that's how we become identified as God praisers, God glorifiers, that we would hear the stories of how God is blessing those around us and be happy about it continually. David said, come on, magnify the Lord with me. Let's, let's exalt his name together. He helps us out of our stupidity. I put myself in a bad situation with the best of intentions, but it was super dumb. And in the moment, I got scared. I panicked. I had to act my way out of something. And listen, it should not have worked. But in the moment, I cried to God and asked him for help. You know, I can imagine David kind of praying to himself as he's drooling and scratching the walls. Lord, I know this is dumb, but could you let them buy the crazy act? Yeah, Lord, I I messed up. And this seems like a really idiotic way to get out of this, but could you help me here? David says his fears, he gives a personification to his fears. He said his fears looked at God and they immediately became lighter. In the face of God, his fears could no longer find hold. The fear and the shame that he felt turned to joy in that he knew that God would deliver him. David said, I needed deliverance. And you know what? The Lord saved me. And can't we also say that this is true in every facet of our lives? Beginning at salvation, we needed deliverance. And there he was, faithful to deliver. When we stumble, when we fail, we need deliverance from the shame of our failure. And he's there, faithful. When we run out from under his wing of protection, when we make bad choices that move us out from under his will, as soon as we recognize where we're at and turn to him needing deliverance, he's there. And who are we all but poor men and women who needed to be delivered from the condemnation we found ourselves in? David says that he was in dire need of protection and the Lord surrounded him and protected him 
as only our God can. You know, did that wrong turn expose you to the enemy? Do we find ourselves in the camp of the accuser and everything he's saying is true? We're sinners. We're not worthy in, our, in and of ourselves, but we cry out. God is on our side. There, there's no power of hell that can accuse us anymore. Sinners, yes, but saved by grace. Once unworthy, yes, but he considered us worthy enough to die for. And in him, we're made co-heirs to everything that the Father has promised. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This doesn't mean just, you know, take a little bite. This doesn't mean that we should nibble and see if we like the taste. Like, mm, yeah, I think I'll have some more of that. This means the Lord is good. So take a mouthful of his goodness and you'll see that it's very good. When we trust in him and credit him for what he's done for us, he pours out even more of his blessings on us so we can turn around and give him more credit so he can pour out more blessing. This is the type of cycle that I want to be caught up in, don't you? God blesses, we praise. God deserves and enjoys the praise and he also commands it. So because it's pleasing to him and shows our love to him, he shows us his love by blessing us more. God blesses, we praise. God blesses, we praise. When we fear the Lord, give him the awe and obedience he deserves and has commanded from us, he gives us so much to where we have no want. Now, don't misunderstand. This isn't every want uh, that we could possibly come up with. We've talked about this before. This means that all of our needs will be met and we will never go without his blessing, his presence, his love. This doesn't mean we'll never struggle. When David was clawing at the walls with his raw, bloody hands, fearing for his life, I'm sure that he would have identified the situation he was in as a struggle. But what he wanted in that moment aligned with God's plans and desire for his life. He wanted to make it out of there so God could fulfill his plan for David's life. He was without want in that moment. And while the offspring of other animals and the children of the God of this world will always find ways to be unfulfilled, God's people can always find their fulfillment in him. No good desire will ever be unfulfilled for the child of God. So David continues and he begins to instruct how we can invite God's blessing in obedience. How life can be good on earth and how can it be that regardless of length and seem good? He says, listen, keep from evil things, desire to do good. Well, what things are good? Well, we have the benefit of something that 
David didn't have at the time, that the children of Israel didn't have at the time. We have the entirety of God's revealed word. We have further instruction that was not available to them at this time. Well, Tom, what are you talking about? We've got the entire Bible. We can define those things that are good. An example of that would be Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And don't just think on them. Let's do these things. Let's seek peace. No, let's pursue after peace. Well, how do we find peace? Ephesians 2.14 says, For he, and the reference here is to Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. But who's the both? He's made both Jew and Gentile the same in him. He's made peace between us and God. And now there's nothing that stands between those that believe in God and God. More than just expecting to be the beneficiaries of Christ's righteousness, we should pursue it. Yes, we are the beneficiaries of it when we believed in him, but we, that does, should not stop us from pursuing after a more righteous life. Not We should, should be content with just the status, but we should be striving towards it. Will we ever get there? Will we ever be righteous in and of ourselves? No, not, not this side of heaven or the rapture. But even then, the righteousness that we have comes from Christ. It's not for us to attain that righteousness, but for us to obey in the pursuit of it. And those that do evil... Well, they're never going to understand how we can claim God's blessing in the struggles that we go through. They're never going to know how we can have hope when the situation seems dire. Trusting in God and not believing when we're that we are strong enough to get through something on our own is the exact opposite of what the world wants us to believe. Oh, you know what? Find that inner strength. You have it inside you to be something better. You just need to reach your full potential. Well, let's go shout in their faces that we are striving to reach our full potential. We just had to allow God to set the bar for us because we were never going to reach our full potential on our own. It's only in his power and in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can begin to be what we were made to be, which is a vessel made to glorify the name of the one who loved us enough to save us the only true God, the God whose name is above all others. And that doesn't mean life will be easy. If it were, why would the righteous ever need to cry out to God? 
Why would we need to be heard? David recognized, hey, I'm going to find myself in trouble. I'm going to find myself in need of deliverance. It's inevitable. I'm human. But if my heart is broken, if my pride can be set aside, if I can recognize that my success and my well-being has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God, if I can make my focus to submit to him and not to my own will, then listen, my afflictions may be many. They may come from my enemies or from myself. But this I know to be true. God will deliver me from all of them. And you know what? Our afflictions may be many. We may sit and say, you know, how is God, how's the Lord going to deliver me from this cancer that I have, this illness that I have, this life-threatening health issue that I have? Well, Christian, I got good news. And maybe one of two ways. Because he has the power to heal your body or he has the power to take your soul to be with him in heaven. To deliver you from the body that's racked with sin and disease. Either way, our affliction will be over in his time. What about my finances? What about my job? Well, have we made those things his? If we've made them his and we're following his plan for our financial well-being, he will care for us. He will sustain us. That doesn't mean he's going to make us rich. It means that we'll have what we need. Well, what about my family life, my spouse that won't come to church or my spouse that's caught up in an addiction? Listen, God has a family for you that can help you through these issues that can be there for you in these afflictions. We call it church. Let him provide for you in this way. There's not an affliction we can name that God can't deliver us from, either in circumstance, in graduation to the next thing, or in delivering us from the emotional or physical anxiety we feel. He's our peace. And the wicked will be destroyed by their own devices. Those that love evil will be led by that same evil to their own destruction either at the end of this life or at the gates of eternity, evil shall have its just reward. It will be judged. And we can never defeat our enemies on our own. Only with God involved in the battle can we be victorious. Our troubles can be turned to blessing for us and for others. In the end, the souls of those that have trusted God and have become his servants will be redeemed for eternity. We're his. 
desolation, which is to be found guilty, will not be our judgment. Our trust in him has made us his children. Our trust in him has made us righteous in his eyes. When he looks at us, he sees only Jesus. When we make a bad decision for a good reason and God delivers us despite our stupidity, do we feel like David in this psalm where we well up with praise or do we allow shame to cloud our praise and miss out on even further blessing? You know, David could have wallowed in his mistake, but he, instead he made it an opportunity to once again show how great our God is, despite how dumb we can be. And boy, can I be dumb. It's a good thing. God is way more great. Hey, thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week and we'll walk just a little further? If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.